this is Rachel. Welcome to A Note of Daring, a podcast curious about how we, as humans, navigate the cascade of changes and collisions that shift the arc of our lives and stories. I'm delighted you are here. Today, I'm excited to share my conversation with Scott Perry, author of the new book, Onward, coming out on Thanksgiving Day. He and I have been in a writing community workshop where I've been able to see this book being written and published, and I had a chance to read it. I'm really excited Scott and I had a chance to have a conversation about his journey into writing this book and just a lot of the different topics and ideas that he brings up. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do as well. Enjoy the show. So welcome Scott to the podcast. Welcome to A Note of Daring. So how I know you is from Seth Godin's uh, Kimbo Workshops, which I think you were the head coach in the creative workshop, right? Or a coach. I think that's where I first saw you. And then we ended up in the same cohort in the writing and community one. And that's where I really got to know you. And what a long, strange trip. <laughs> it is. And so you wrote a book. I started a story that I haven't done much on, but I keep, I'm, I'm keeping showing up. And so I guess I want to start with what is one thing about you you want to share? Tell us about you. One thing about me that I want to share. Well, I am pretty much an open book and anything that you'd want to know, you can probably find somewhere. If I were to share something that not many people know about me, uh, the thing that leaps to mind is that I am a four-time winner of the Latin prize at the school, at the high school that I went to, which I actually mm. began taking Latin in the eighth grade. And the only reason I didn't win it five times is because they only had four. You could only go as high as Latin four. <laughs> I was I was a Latin whiz. Latin whiz. Awesome. So how did you actually? So I'm kind of curious about this because I we, we've been in the like cohort. And we have like Monday calls, and you I've heard. So I've heard that you were a high school teacher. You do a lot of gigs and music things, and now you're like a coach and things. So I'm curious what moments in life have changed you or changed your direction? Really interesting. Uh, so the first real pivot that I recall in my young life was when I, my parents made a decision when I was halfway through the seventh grade that if they didn't do something different with me, that I was probably going to end up in juvie. And so it just so happened that in the little town that we lived in in Western Mass, there was a private school and the headmaster lived across the street from us. And they went to him and said, listen, can you help us with our kid? And the headmaster brought us in, took us on a tour and then found a scholarship for me so that I could attend this school as a day student. And it literally changed my life because I had always been the kid that sat in the back of the class and kept his head down and um, you know when I wasn't acting up and getting brought to the, the principal's office um, but had like no academic interest like and then I was in these really tiny classrooms with like six other kids oh wow and these incredible kind of dead poet society 
coach carter teachers that were just really <laughs> larger than life and inspirational and and i just fell in love with school and with learning and with reading and with writing and and it was in seventh grade that the person that the, the teacher that became my first latin teacher introduced me to marcus aurelius's meditations which is a book that completely transformed my life so that was a big kind of thunderbolt moment in my life uh, the second was shortly after my first son was born and i decided to quit my career as a teacher and and go into music full-time and then the third was when i took seth godin's alt mba and decided i wasn't going to be a musician or a music teacher anymore i was going to do something else not knowing what that was but it's turned into coaching and community at creative on purpose nice so that's quite a very it's a very succinct story of a lot of pivot points like there must be more more there kind of the most recent one so going back to the when was that that you kind of decided to stop teaching music and started um creative on purpose it was in august of 2016 that i took the alt mba that was session six so it was still kind of early days in the alt mba's history uh, i went in thinking that i was going to unpack this idea i had to take my online lesson studio or my my in-person lesson studio and turn it into an online empire where of course i was going to just make money while i slept mm -hmm. just, you know living that dream and by the time i finished that workshop i didn't even want to be a, a musician or a music teacher anymore i just had reconnected with the idea of being a part of a team of doing you know meaningful work with other people and fell back in love with my love of writing that i established way back when i was uh very young uh, but i just i didn't know exactly what that was going to be so i still I, I i retired from public performance several years ago i still teach uh still have a, a lesson studio because i love doing that and it's work i i feel really privileged and honored to be able to do but i've been building this other thing on the side ever since 2016 and it's turned into its own kind of viable uh sustainable profitable entity nice because i've kind of been aware of seth god but then like this past year i'd really kind of gotten into his work mm -hmm. and it's like it's interesting that the different people that influence us and that we learn from and that we that like change the direction of our lives. Yeah, well, I mean, and you asked me a question about pivot points. And I mean, those are the moments, those moments of inflection are things I pay attention to because as a coach, those are the moments that I'm helping other people with, mm -hmm. helping them recognize that. And the, the, I don't know what your experience was with quitting your day job, but you know, I did it you know, right after my, my first son was born, which sounds insane, but yeah. my thinking was, if I don't do this now, I, I never will. And I don't want to be the, the age I am now, you know, 35, 36 years later, wondering, ah, I wonder if I could have done something with that. You know, I was, I was pretty good. I wonder if I could have done something with that. So instead of like imploding a really fabulous career and you know, buying a tour bus and just, you know, going on the road, it was like, I just, I was not happy doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I knew that I could always do another one of those very easily. 
and I just made a deal with myself. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this and I'll do it for as long as I can make enough every day to do it again the next day. And when that stops, I'll just go back to teaching. It turns out after 35 years, I never had to, <laughs> you know, I always made just most of the time just enough, but I always made enough that I could just keep going with what I was doing. And, you know, I know that you're a freelancer and freelancing is whether you're a musician or a graphic designer or a coder or whatever, it's your living gig to gig. Um, so it is, it always kind of feels like a kind of precarious existence, but you know, we know what the alternative is and the alternative isn't any prettier. It just has different, different downsides and different risks to manage. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I think, you know, for me, being a freelancer working for myself is really just an exercise in trusting myself mm -hmm. and just having that mindset, you know, that, that it's not unstable that, you know, they think about the 95 jobs, a stable thing with, you know, guaranteed, not guaranteed income, but, you know, predictable income, which it is a bit, but also like pandemics can happen and companies can just lay off people or, you know, it's just like the world is not a stable place. And it's, you know, it's full of uncertainty and it's kind of interesting about like, the power is like how you, how you deal with it and how you approach it. So you were talking about how you went from teaching to music to coaching and writing and you just, so right now you and I are both in a, a workshop called Writing Community, which is about writing a book and publishing it. What well, it started in, in June, June, June July, so. sometime in the summer this year in your book onward where certainty ends possibility begins by scott perry it's coming out in november yeah come uh so i uh, as i've done before i'm publishing it on thanksgiving day um it's my favorite holiday it's a holiday that's all about gratitude and generosity and so it just seems appropriate to um published on that day and you I just want to stick a pin in something that you just said because it you, you um you referenced unintentionally I think uh, one of my favorite quotes which is by Goethe which is as soon as you trust yourself you will know how to live mm -hmm. and it, it's interesting that Seth Godin who is responsible for writing a community along with Kristen Hatcher um just published a book called the practice that yeah. that was going to be titled trust yourself um but this it's a it's a really powerful idea because again you reference this most of us have bought a, a bill of goods that was a lie like we bought the certainty and the confidence that if we got a job and kept our head down and you know didn't make too much of a fuss that we would be taken care of right for an extended period of time. And then a lot of people have, because of the pandemic and social unrest and financial unrest and so so on, have, have experienced like that's actually not true. Like this, there is no certainty in mm -hmm. trusting that process. Um, and so many of us are learning because we have no other choice that we actually have to trust ourselves because when we are on our own and left to our own devices, we have to wrestle with how do we 
perceive our situation mm -hmm. and how do we decide what to do next and then have the volition to do that and again difficult work for sure but it's the only work I well think. it's 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 for people that are, want to make progress as human beings as people who's you know have this social instinct and creative capacity uh it's i don't yeah i'm with you it's like i don't see any other way of being uh and this is how we're all this is how things are going to get better mm -hmm. i think we i think it's entirely possible we exit the pandemic better and better off than we entered it because we've learned the importance of connection because we're have to be socially distant and we've learned that uh you know human beings are at their best when they're working collaborating together to come up with creative solutions to challenging situations yeah no it's really interesting so i have a background in like design thinking and kind of just creative problem solving and just i don't know like it's interesting how like all these things weave together so i'm really into Brene brown's work which we were talking about trust and you know and vulnerability and uncertainty and all those things are connected there. And then I'm really interested now because I know that like as you're writing, part of the writing community process is kind of writing out loud because like you're you're kind of sharing your writing as you're going. And I remember like you you're sharing your kind of little um, note about vol volition. That's how you say it. Volition. Mm -hmm. Volition. Um, I had it was funny because I had just been writing the you know the idea of um you know someone else's volition like you know it's like how that's connected with with letting go of agency and waiting for permission from someone else is connected to like waiting for someone else to make a choice for you sometimes yeah volition is such a great word because it's tied to the uh, idea of will mm-hmm and agency that you just referenced and also tied to the idea of surrender mm -hmm. because volition is recognizing that almost everything is beyond your control yeah and therefore paying attention to and managing and pursuing the things that you do control with intention and integrity becomes even more important because the only thing that you really have the only thing that really matters is the quality of your volition the quality of your effort that's all you actually control that we we live in a society that's very attached to results and outcomes which is why we buy into the system if mm -hmm. I get good grades and go to a good college and get a good job and you know get a house in the suburbs and blah 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 blah, blah everything that's the American that, dream that's that's as good as it gets um, and then we see so much dissatisfaction and unhappiness by people that have pursued that, done everything they've been told to do. Right. Um, and why we see around the world people that have so much less actually have higher happiness quotients. Um, yeah. They have surrendered to what is, I think, in part because they've surrendered to what's beyond their control and are grateful for whatever it is they have and it's really important to start with that gratitude piece if you can be just grateful for the 
simple everyday conveniences, then uh, everything, anything else that comes to you is a gift, is a bonus, is yeah. icing on the cake. I think another point I think I heard, like I was kind of listening to there is also the idea of, is of letting go of the things that, you know, we should be happy about or the things we should do. And sometimes it takes a lot of courage to be like, oh, I, like, I don't want to be a musician. I don't want to be a teacher. I'm going to leap into this unknown thing or, you know, take a different, you know, a different sideways path that isn't as obvious. And I think having that clarity or like being willing to find the clarity about like what is important to me, what does success mean to me? What, what is my dream? And also what is not my dream? Like, you know, acknowledging that I don't want to work like for somebody mm -hmm. like right now. Like I like, I, like, I love to work with people. And I also, I also don't want to like have people work for me. Um, so there's a book I read called The Company of One mm -hmm. um, by Paul Jarvis, which it's kind of basically the basic assumption is that in a, you, like you can have a company of one, which could be like a, either like one or two or like a small company, but that growth doesn't necessarily mean like scaling the number of employees or the number of, I don't know, that in that way. I'm like, I really like that, but it's a little bit, a little bit counter, maybe counter mainstream or counter culture to be like, oh, I actually just want to work for myself. Yeah. Well, I, I've read the book and I actually had a Paul on the, on my podcast and it's really wonderful book. I highly recommend to anybody because like Seth's work and this is marketing where he talks about smallest viable audience. It's, it's about deciding what you want. Do you want reach and scale? Mm -hmm. Or do you want impact and significance? And what you were saying t earlier reminds me of this conversation I have a, a, with myself quite a bit, which is, where does purpose and passion lie? Because again, the thing that we're fed is that there are certain jobs that are, are purposeful. Mm -hmm. And so people become doctors and lawyers because they, they feel that this is you know going to be meaningful work. I work with plenty of professionals of all types, including doctors and lawyers who are deeply unhappy because they feel like there's just too much invested in their career that they can't get out, but they really dislike what they do and they dislike the, the, the kind of person it takes to be good in, in the, those kind of um, jobs. And, you know, the same with passion. We're, we're told, you know, find, pursue your passion, find your passion, find, you know, whatever you're passionate about, try to turn that into your job. And what I have found is, number one, the science says 80% of people, when asked to identify their purpose or passion, can't. Mm -hmm. So when we say find your passion, we're telling, we're shaming 80% of the population because 80% of us can't identify it. It's, a, it's assuming that everyone has a single like passion. Yeah. And I'm like, I have lots, I have like, so one thing, one of the challenges I had was like, you know, starting out in business on yourself, I was like, oh, like niche down or like pick one thing. I'm like, but I like different things. Like I have, I have a theme that I'm interested in. Like I'm interested in people and how people connect, interact and think and like kind of the growth and creative creativeness. And I'm like, 
it's not, it's not a neat, it doesn't fit neatly in a, in a box or a title or a, a thing, but there's a theme and there's a commonality. And so for me, like having to let go of the needing to pinpoint myself so small or, you know, like the work I was doing into a neat box. I'm like, I don't want to be neat. <laughs> well, and you point to something really important. It's, it's not, we're not born with these things already inherent in us and they're not inherent in any of the things that we could choose to do for work. Mm -hmm. So one of the revelations I had early on when I was writing my first book was purpose and passion are, if, if, if we treat purpose and passion as finite resources that we must use to build whatever it is that we're building, we run the danger of, of using up that resource. Mm -hmm. before. And so what happened, I, I've seen this with musicians. I'm going to become a musician. I'm passionate about music. Music is what I was born to do. And then they go into music. It turns out that being a full-time musician professionally at any level is really, really hard. And since only 0.01% get to be Eric Clapton or somebody of that stature, it, you know, mostly it's a grind. Yeah. And, and if you're relying on passion to power you through all the inevitable challenges that it takes just to barely get by, you will use up all your passion and you will become one of those bitter jaded musicians that you will witness playing any holiday inn or bowling alley or crappy dive sports bar i mean and i remember having you know working with people like that and saying i'm never going to be that way and catching myself at one point in my career like being you know complaining and then i was just like whoa 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 this is, this is a choice. You chose to do this. This is what you get to do. It's not what you have to mm -hmm. do. So either, you know, regain your, your appreciation and joy or let it go. go back to teaching. And so I, you know, was able to, to catch myself in that moment. And, and so you can find, you can cultivate purpose and passion in anything. You can be a garbage collector or an accountant or a parent or any of a number of things. And if you treat the work right in front of you with intention and integrity, purpose and passion are naturally recurring, occurring renewable resources mm -hmm. that you can continue to bake into and put invest into whatever it is that you find yourself doing. And so I find that, um, you know, people like you and I that might be living gig to gig still tend to be kind of optimistic, happy people because we're, we recognize what it's really about. It's really about just being able to show up every day and do the best work that I can do and mm -hmm. grow and develop as a professional and as a person and as a friend and a, and a, a, um, you know, a freelancer or whatever it is. Uh, so much more rewarding than playing a game, playing somebody else's game. You know, I think of us as playing the infinite game where we've been taught that the only yeah. game worth playing is a finite game. Um, but no, I think it's super interesting, the idea of of just being willing to trust yourself every, like just continually. And also like, I like the idea of, of being able to be a little bit nimble and pivot. So I just read your, an advanced copy of your book and I had a couple, I don't know, well, first I want you to explain Kati Wampel. Uh, so Kati Wampel is my favorite word of all time. 
and it's an English slang, British slang term for heading purposefully into a, toward an unknown destination. And to me, this is, this is like, it's just a metaphor for life and for work. Um, and it's been certainly the secret to my quote unquote success because I have always, you know, we're all built differently. And yes, you can, confidence is an attitude that you can, a skill that you can develop um, and optimism and all those things. But I've always been a person that kind of leaps first and just trusts that the oh, yeah. will appear. And so I, when I decided to become a musician, I didn't like wait until I had a record deal or even had my first gig. I just said, I'm not going to teach next fall. I'm going to be a musician. And I just started, you know, just did, did the work, woke up every morning and did the work I needed to do to earn enough that day to get up and do it again the next day. And when I look back, you know, I did, I can see this clear linear line just, you know, going up and to the right on, on, you know, the chart, but it wasn't that way. I mean, there was, there were all sorts of rabbit holes and cul-de-sacs and falling back and, uh, but somehow I, I found my way. Uh, and again, just that idea of being grateful for the opportunity. Mm-hmm made it probably easier and probably had a lot to do with the longevity of, of my doing it. Yeah. And no, I think that's essentially interesting. I really like, like you introduced me to that word. And like, I think that's a concept that I have honestly lived by is like, I travel, you know, I travel purposefully somewhere. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I like, I just, I'm good with the direction I'm going. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm good with the direction I'm going. And so that's it's, it's really nice when sometimes when you get a word or a concept then is articulated and it articulates something that you knew but hadn't like quite said as well. Mm-hmm. So I really like that idea. And so another question I kind of had and I was just as I was reading this was I really like your thing about not confusing generosity and promiscuity. Yeah. <laughs> so can you tell me more about that? So a lot of what Onward is about is this idea of meaningful work. And the basic premise is uh, you enhance your life most through work that serves others. And that when we think about, you know, and this is generosity is a word that we throw around a lot in Seth Godin's workshops, you know, where I coach and, you know, I've been a follower of hers for a long time. And so we, we conflate too frequently generous with free mm-hmm. and generous with just as an additive process when in fact oftentimes the most generous thing to do is to uh, bring in some scarcity or to amplify tension that leads somebody to take the action that's required for them to make the progress that they want to make um, and so that was that idea that that distinguishing uh, generosity from promiscuity was um, just a, another really big moment in my life where I was at the beginning doing way too much for free and mm-hmm. there was no tension there was no need 
to take a bolder leap and, and click a pay now button because you could get most everything I knew and wanted to share for free. And when I realized the importance of creating creating that tension that gets somebody to t take a bolder step into possibility, mm -hmm. and we're going to do that work with and for each other, that I get to develop as a person and as a professional, as a coach, and I get to help them get from where they are to where they want to be and actually you know, help them identify challenges that they don't see that they probably put in their own path, and then blast through them and help them become a person that can continue the journey with or without me. Um, but it comes from knowing when to practice generosity and when to stop practicing promiscuity. Yeah, no, that's, so that's really interesting. I think about like, so I think Brene Brown talks about um, that the most generous people are the most boundaried. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's that same thing. It's like, in order to be generous, you have to be boundaried, which is, I think we, you know, you, like you said, we conflate like being generous with like giving everything away, but, but then we have nothing to give, but then we have no, no growth and no, um, I don't know, just, there's just nothing left. It's like, you know, going back to the idea of like moving forward, like making progress versus just doing things. So that's another, it's another thing that you talked about is the difference between like productivity and progress, which I really like. So it's like, you can like, you know, another, like sometimes we like work is the thing that is getting in the way of us actually doing something. <laughs> yeah, well, I, it, th that's another really important point I make so you know all these things are conversations I've had with myself because mm -hmm. I am a person that if you just looked at my output you would say holy cow he's so productive and I can I can produce all day long and I can really grind out the content or whatever uh, but productivity doesn't always equate to progress in fact it very infrequently does because progress is when you do the necessary things mm -hmm. uh, to move you forward and to move others forward. And so pro, uh, progress is more about what, what are you putting on your stop doing list as opposed yeah. to what are you adding to your to-do list? Yeah, there's like all these intertwines, like kind of with Brene Brown's work, I guess, which I have a lot of knowledge of. But so one of her guideposts for like um, wholehearted living is cultivating play and rest. But then the other side of that is letting go of exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity as self-worth and it's like i really that's interesting that productivity is self-worth and it's like the idea that oh i'm so busy doing all these things and you know i don't have more time and you know like time really might be the only finite resource that is um non-renewable like once the week is done the week is done but you know just re even reframing that of what does productivity look like what does what and compared to what does progress look like busier mm -hmm. productivity as a, as a status symbol like oh i'm so busy i'm so busy multitasking which is really just task switching and not doing anything not getting anything done but it, you know but there's also the the challenge of letting that story go notice recently is that like you know people using language like oh i'm i, I know you all are so busy um I'm like, people are assuming busy, 
which might be true, but also it's like, again, it goes back to the boundary thing of let, like, let people tell you that, you know, they have their own boundaries and tell you like, oh, I can't do it then I need to go. But I, I don't know, just something, I just really, I've been circling recently about like, you know, assuming, assuming people are busy and assuming no, and like working on letting people tell me no. And it's like that, that kind of boundary thing. So being generous and also asking for things. And it's just, I don't know, it's just interesting how all this stuff is going together. And you read, like reading things, like I was reading your book and I was like, like there's little things popped out that I was like, this thing, this re like a lot of it was really like a lot of cool little ideas and things. And some of it was articulating things in a new way that I've heard before, or, you know, other things, there's like other things that I'm like, oh, this is a, this specific little thing really is either articulating something in a new way or adds, add something in a really helpful, uh, yeah, helpful well, way. I'm really grateful to hear you say that because I tr was very intentional about making this book not a word longer than it needed to be and it is a fairly short work um, and providing either provocative perspectives or provocative insights or provocative questions mm -hmm. to cause a pause so that the reader, I mean, the, 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 the hero of the book is actually the reader and it's mm -hmm. in trying to engage the reader in being thoughtful and deliberate about the way that they approach their work and the way and their process for how they make sense of themselves, sense of the wor world and being a little bit more deliberate and thoughtful about what's on offer and what what's important and valuable to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really liked, so one thing that, again, another thing that I had kind of been, like, you know, seeing patterns in different places that I saw again in your book was resistance is a wayfinder, which I had been, you know, I saw in Stephen Pressfield's work and then, you know, just in the, in the whole writing thing. And then, you know, think about like, you know, so we're in this writing community book and like my reason for joining was I had a like a nonfiction or sorry a fiction story I wanted to build and I have I have more now <laughs> but you know it's like I have, I have very strong resistance here and I'm like and I, so that that interesting like resistance is the way is the wayfinder is you know that sometimes we're afraid of the things that we know will change us mm -hmm. because we, we know they will change us and so we have strong resistance which is you know all the science stuff there's reasons for this but but recognizing that, and then, I mean, the next part, which is the, the simple, but maybe not easy part is doing it anyway, mm -hmm. being afraid and doing it anyway, having resistance and doing it anyway. But, you know, it's also the balance of, or letting it go. Cause sometimes, you know, just using the resistance, resistance as learning of it's a wayfinder. It's like, here is resistance. There's like maybe a fork in the road and it's like, here's this path and this path. And you can just circle in this little little clearing by this fork in the road for you know be, being productive, cleaning up the little the cleaning up the sign, painting things, <laughs> whatever this metaphor that I'm building out here. Um, but you know it's the it's the thing. It's like you have sometimes you have to choose a path, and then choosing a path means that you're also not choosing this other direction. Yeah, well, you're pointing to one of the other elements of the book, which is you have to become a decision maker mm -hmm. and you ha and the thing about decisions is that they're not really tied to outcomes right. that decisions are merely decisions and a decision just puts you in the next situation for you to make a new your next decision but we do exactly what you are articulating we do spend a lot spin a lot of cycles a lot of unnecessary cycles just like going over the option or 
or sitting with the fear and the anxiety, the resistance, whatever it is that's like causing us to become a little too humble and go back into hiding. Um, and so, you know, another kind of default setting, I think, that's worth cultivating is the the bias to action. Yeah. Opposed, because what I see over and over and over again in the workshops where I coach in my own coaching practice and the people I work with is the default setting of I'm going to take another course, I'm going to read mm -hmm. another book, I'm going to yep. check out some videos on YouTube. Yep. And definitely been in that trap. The I'm going to learn my, I'm going to learn myself into this. Right. And <laughs> and what what we know to be true is anything significant and meaningful we've ever done in our lives, we've we've learned to do by doing it and we learn to do do it by doing it really poorly until we did it just reasonably Better. well and then do it unconsciously and you can start with learning to talk a baby doesn't learn to talk by getting plopped in front of a computer with some youtube videos or having an ebook read to them or mm -hmm. getting enrolled in a, <laughs> a, a workshop they see people doing this talking thing it seems like it could be really fun i think i'm going to give this a try and they do it really badly until yeah. they do it well and this is the the um kind of the the call to action at the beginning of the book is when did you stop being a fearless creative because you created as a baby mm -hmm. you you created a talker from a non-talker a walker from a non-walker a uh, a reader from a non-reader a writer from a non-writer a bike rider from a non-bike i mean you you've been doing this for a long time at yeah. some point it got beaten out of you or sucked out of you or the culture are like exactly so you know but now that i'm showing this to you and i can see just by the way you're nodding your head you know yeah it's kind of undeniable yeah so now what are you going to do well and a lot of us will say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to read another Brene Brown book. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. Um, when all you really need to do is to take the next, and that's another important piece of my philosophy is don't like, you don't have to trash your career and right. without any game plan or any starting point, start something new. You can, you can take a, a small step. You can just, you know, take test one little one little thing that you could accomplish mm -hmm. in an hour or a day and try it on and there's i've been thinking about this a lot lately um just this idea of um, exploring and exploiting like you should spend mm -hmm. a lot of time exploring options and trying things and just experimenting before you decide that you're going to put in 10,000 hours to master right. something, right? Do that. And then when you find something that you're reasonably sure this, this is worth pursuing, then you can go ahead and go all in. Yeah, no, I read a book a while ago about deliberate practice, mm -hmm. which is like, you know, the first 20 hours, which is like in order to, for this podcast, I did need some skills and I wanted some guidance and I didn't want to go down this, the rabbit hole of the internet. So my choice was to do the um, the podcast fellowship. And I'm like, I'm just going to basically, if they say buy this microphone and do this thing, I'm just to do that. Um, there's all this stuff on the interwebs. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to do it and start. And the thing about, you know, like that the 20 hours of deliberate practice is like, you need, a, like, a, there is a learning curve to like, to doing this thing. And you have to kind of, the first 20 hours of actual doing of the thing. It's not, it's not watching someone do the thing. It's actually doing the thing. 
and I, I really like that concept and been applying that. And, you know, again, like we're talking earlier, like really working on saying no to trying to learn more things um, or reading more books. Like I have like 130 books in my Amazon save for later card because that's just where I store them. It's like, I have other books I haven't read yet, you know, like nonfiction, these really things I'm really interested in, but I need to like, you know, I need to do the things I need. I'm trying to really cultivate, I think I have been a bias towards action. Like I have a podcast that, you know, this is what we're doing right now. And there was, there maybe was a two month hiatus that was unintended, but I'm still doing it. I showed up again and I'm re, re, re-engaging with it. And it's like, it's an experiment and it, but yeah, it's just, I really like all the things in your book and just all the stuff coming together. Thank you. Dog is a fan too, evidently. <laughs> Actually, so um, what is maybe the next thing you see coming in your life that will, you think will change you? Hmm. This, I'll, I'll answer in a way that circles back to where the conversation started about the Cody Womble, right? Setting, like, heading confidently into an unknown destination. I'm a big believer in setting an intention, setting an aspiration, aiming at a specific target, and accepting that as I step into that possibility, I could not possibly have foreseen the challenges that are coming, the opportunities, you know, that are coming. So I am continuing to just, my, my intention is to keep working on building my coaching practice and the community that, that, that's a part of that and to continue to try to make the world a better place by helping more people do the work that they're, they're, they're doing better and to put it in front of more of the right people because I think that the way that change happens is we all is from the bottom up we're all going we all have our spheres of influence and connections and if I can help 10 other people help 10, mm-hmm. 10 if I can help 10 of the right people help 10 of the right people and, and on and on that things will eventually change and this is the way sustainable change happens um so that's the intention for now and and i am open to what else avails itself i'm the work that i do in seth godin's akimba workshop was something i never anticipated never Mm -hmm. asked for when the opportunity came up i saw an opportunity to make a difference in the world at at a scale that i couldn't possibly have done on my own at that time so just this idea you you use the word being nimble you know it's i think you have to have this um capacity to to embrace when it's time to quit when it's time to pivot when it's time to consider changing directions when it's time to pause and and be a little bit more thoughtful and deliberate about what you decide to do next so you know my hope is i'm i'm still living that that philosophy is all I want to, as long as I make enough to do today, make enough today to do this again tomorrow, that's going to be good enough for right now. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, what are you excited about? I'm really excited about all the challenges that we face as a global society, as the human race. Mm-hmm. You know, the pandemic has brought 
challenges for sure and has caused suffering for sure, much of it unnecessary, which is tragic and mm -hmm. sad. And it has also reminded us about some of the things that really we've not paid enough attention to and that are much more important than we've been considering and has encouraged us to be a little bit more thoughtful about what how we spend our time who we spend our time with what we are paying attention to and where we're investing our perspective and our experience and i just really feel like we're going to exit the situation that we find ourselves in better and better off than we entered it mm -hmm. because there are more people like you like me like the people that we know in writing a community and elsewhere that are that have this desire to help make things better and even when we're not sure exactly how that's done we show up every day open to the possibility and eager to engage and to do something um, knowing that it might not work uh, and brave enough to accept that it, it very well could yeah no i like that and it is i think it's very true that there's um one thing i've really been thinking about is like in in conflict and in resistance and that kind of the things we're talking about like that's where growth happens mm -hmm. and that's where like that's where we become the people and that's where we you know keep going in the direction you know in this vague destination um that we have we go onward see i brought that around <laughs> very well played <laughs> we go onward we go forward um, so the last question, I guess, is how can people find you if they're interested in finding you? Not in a stalker so, way, but if you are interested in Onward and you Google Onward Scott Perry and Amazon, it'll be the first thing that shows up. Uh, that releases on Thanksgiving Day, but it's available for pre-order now. Uh, if the ideas that I'm been sharing here are interesting, you can visit creativeonpurpose.com. If you're so inclined, you can take a free audit tool. It's called the Difference Maker Audit, where you can kind of get a sense of where you are, where you would like to be, and what might be in the way with the change that you seek to make in the world. Or you can just go right to the blog, and there's plenty of insight and inspiration in the, in the blog. I've been doing that for since August of 2016. Nice. So, like, I have, a, like, two or three last kind of random questions. First question what kind of musician or musical instruments did you play? Do you play? So, primarily a guitar player, but I, I also uh, have a fondness for the ukulele. And oh, so yeah. I incorporated that into my act. I started off as kind of a dyed-in-the-wool blues guitarist. Uh, later in my career, I just fell in love with jazz, especially gypsy jazz, and uh, spent a lot of time learning that style and incorporating it into my act. But I, the the joke was I any act I was part of whether it was solo duo or or full blown band was we played good music, uh, <laughs> good music was mostly American music or American inspired music and it was mostly blues inspired so it was blues jazz country uh, rock and roll um, but most everything was probably sounded like it came before nineteen sixty four. 
yeah so that was my that was the, that was my primary genre cool okay um i guess second to last question is there anything you want to leave people with i leave everyone with the challenge to think about legacy and legacy is not what you leave behind. It's the difference that you're making right now. And so my my provocation, my call to action is live your legacy. Thanks. And the last question is, how are you today? Perfect in every way, but you knew that. <laughs> That's why I asked it. <laughs> um, okay, well, thank you so much for your time and sharing and your book and all those things. I really enjoy being um, a part of the cohort with you and um, getting to know you and all those things. Yeah, well, you've been a huge asset to my journey inside writing a community and a privilege and honor to spend this time speaking with you. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you and have a great day. Right, you too. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the show and got a new idea, learned something interesting, or maybe just feel connected. If you liked it, I invite you to share this show with one person and take a moment to rate and review it online. I'm your host, Rachel Thompson. You can find me online at Rachel B. Daring on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for listening to a Note of Daring podcast. Until next time.